0: Welcome back, listener. You know we live in the greatest time in human history to launch and build a business, right? Well, we also happen to live in the greatest time in history to be an author. On today's show, we explore the huge positive impact that a simple book can have on your business. We also tell you exactly how to get that book done the right way quickly. Get ready for an episode full of the best ideas in the arena of self publishing as we attempt to convince you that every business building warrior needs a book.
1: Hey, this is Jim. Welcome back to Silent Sales Machine Radio. So glad you've joined us again for another great episode. Today, we're going to talk about. Books And no, we're not talking about sourcing and selling books like we have in past episodes. Today, we're actually talking about you writing a book. And I've got a guy with us right now, Mr. Greg Perry. He helps us run our self publishing service, which I know sounds kind of funny, but we've actually got a self-publishing service where we help you with different aspects of getting your book published. And we're going to talk about that today. But as you may know, listener, I am a huge fan of writing books. I love writing books. I love the effect that it can have on you. And the gentleman we have with us today is Mr. Greg Perry. We're just going to jump right into content and talk to you about why you should have a book, who should have a book, and what's the process look like now as compared to maybe 10, 15 years ago when it was a lot more difficult to get a great book out there. So, hey, Greg, how are you today, buddy?
0: Hey, Jim, I'm great, and I'm so glad to be here. This is exciting to talk to people about books.
1: We'll do a little bit of an introduction later. How about we jump straight into content? I'm thinking, I want to tell people who you are. You've got such a cool story, and you've been in our community for a very long time, but how about we hit them with some content, and then we'll backfill in some introductions about who you are and how we came to find each other, because that really helps tell the story as well. But And I didn't prep you a whole lot for this question, but let me just pull a a good question. Right out of the air, I think that the listeners can enjoy. Who should write a book?
0: Can I just insert anybody can write a book? Anybody can write and publish a book t- today. That's the great thing about the world we live. And this is the best time to be living in. And so if you don't think you can write, well, if you don't think you can write, then you can't. But if you think you have a story, if you think you have something to say, you can write a book. And the process is so easy. And the very first time you do it, well, the very first time you do it, maybe there are a few little, well, there'll be some new things to you, but they aren't really challenges. They're just unknowns to you. And you can get past those very quickly. And people can help you get past those very quickly. Jim, you and I can help people get past those very quickly, but the reason that someone would want to have a book. And I think I've heard you say this, and I've heard others say it if if not you, but I'm pretty sure I heard you say once that a book is the best business card you can hand to someone.
1: Yes, sir. Actually, episode number one of this very podcast, that was one of the, the presentation I did. I talked quite a bit in depth on that topic, and I completely agree. Some people think, you know, success as an author means I've got to sell thousands of copies of my book. No, just that credibility of having it instantly makes you an authority in people people's mind. And I will even say this, Greg, on the topic of books, when I'm talking to people who are considering being an author, maybe self-publishing, which we're going to talk about a lot today, I say, just begin calling yourself an author. Even before you have a book, just say, hey, I'm working on a book on topic X. And instantly in the mind of everybody who hears you make that statement, you are now an authority on topic X. Hopefully you'll actually come out with your book someday. Now that's the goal, right? Uh-huh.
0: That's the goal. And it's a halo effect, right? Oh, I love that. Yes. You know, an idea for a book. How many presidents have actually written their own books, their autobiographies? I would guess more than half have not and probably a higher number than that. How many actors and actresses have written their own autobiography? Well, I think virtually none. I think they all have their stories. They all have their ideas and what they want and said And that's all you need for a book, especially in 2017, but that is all anyone has ever needed for a book. Now, Jim, if you were to take a Van Gogh out of a gallery and bring it home and take it without their permission and then slap your name on it, that wouldn't be right. And you'd probably get into a little trouble doing that. But when it comes to a book, (laughs) (laughs) for hundreds of years, actually up to 4,000 years ago, people were writing books inspired by other people. They were writing books for someone else. I mean, I'm thinking of these guys named Job and Paul and John and all these guys. They were writing someone else's story. And ever since then, it has been perfectly acceptable to have a pseudonym or not a pseudonym, but a ghostwriter to take your book and turn it into a readable book, to take your ideas, your expertise. And you said people automatically think of you as an expert or as an authority. You are because every one of us. We are experts at something, at something, because it doesn't take much to be better than 95% of everyone in the world in something. It doesn't take that much to rise just a little bit above 95% in skill or ability. In something, it might be sewing or, you know, playing pool or typing or writing books or teaching someone how to sell on eBay. Most people can't do most things very well. And so if you have an ability that's pretty good in one subject or more than one subject, you really are an expert in that. It is valid for you to consider yourself an expert because you probably are better than 90 to 95% of everyone else who wants to be able to do that skill. There's something you can do.
1: Embrace that expert, that authority title. Yeah, you use the 95% number, and that's a number I throw around all the time after people make their first few sales online. You know, like a lot of the episodes of this podcast have been about selling physical product online. After you've actually made that first sale, you know, I say the road from zero sales to one sale, (laughs) that first sale can seem like a very long, difficult, confusing, arduous journey. And as soon as you make that first sale, jumping from one to a thousand is yeah. easy in comparison because like, why was I so nervous? Why was I so confused? I mean, this is so simple, but you got to remember to the rest of the world, they've never made that long journey from zero to one. You have, you are an expert to 95% of the people out there, even with just a little bit of focused effort. So yeah, I think we've identified who should be writing a book, basically everyone. And let's talk about, a little bit about the process, you know, and there's no one right way. I don't know if you know this or not, Greg, and, and this is a little bit of an introduction back into the history that we share a little bit, but the first version of Silent Sales Machine that I ever wrote several years ago, this is, you know, pre-2002, 2000, something like that. And I wrote it over a weekend, just typing it out. I didn't think I was creating a book. I was creating a PDF document that I could give to people instead of emailing them these long responses to their questions they had for me. I thought, I'm just gonna put it in one PDF document and send that as an attachment. I wasn't even thinking, I'm gonna write a book. I mean, that's one way to do it. You can audio record. You can use a ghostwriter, like you mentioned. There's just so many good ways to create content now. But talk a little bit about, you know, let's dig into your history just a little bit with, you know, that Silent Sales Machine book. I think if I remember right, you actually were one of the people who read that. Is that right,
0: Jim? It will be a turning point in my life forever. That is when I met Jim Cochran. And that is when I realized I thinking back. Well, what I did is I bought that. We sold on eBay back then and uh, just as kind of a sideline. And someone had come up to me and said, I have a huge rare book collection. Will you sell it for us on eBay? And my first answer was yes. But of course, inside I was going, oh, I hope I can do this. And so I somehow saw Silent Sales Machine. I think you had just put it out. And I was doing a lot of research on how to sell on eBay and we had sold a few things. So it wasn't a complete unknown to me. And back then it was kind of like uh, the Wild West. I mean, you could do about anything, sell about anything and no one cared. And um, so I got your book and I thought, this sounds pretty good. And something about it, I don't think that, just as an aside, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and you are too. And something about the way you wrote just told me that you were. I don't think in that very first volume, 1.0, I don't even think you said anything about that. But I kind of felt a kindred spirit with you. Yeah, I know that sounds hokey, but there was something about you that I thought, I want to know what this man has to say. And so I printed every page out, and I went to Red Robin Hamburgers. I don't know if you have Red Robin where you are, but
1: i heard of them. Yeah. And been.
0: I took my book, went to Red Robin, got me a hamburger and iced tea and some fries. And I just sat there and devoured your book and made notes <laughs> in the margin. And oh, I just said, and it, what it really taught me now, a lot of what we did were one-off items. Of course, if you're selling a rare book collection, that means you have one of everything. And that's harder than selling a thousand of five things. It's not harder, but it's more legwork. It actually can return more money, but it's more legwork. And so your promotion of email marketing was so strong in my mind and something I wanted to do, but I couldn't really figure out a way to fit it in with what we had to sell. And then I realized, now, wait a minute, I need to be sending an email to everyone kind of keeping track of what subjects they've bought in the past and let them know, look, if you're interested, I'm going to tell you if we have books or rare books on American Indian history coming up for sale, I'm going to shoot you an Email if you're interested. And so we got people on several email lists that were targeted to different book categories that we were selling. And I could send them out an email before I posted 25 books in that category. And I'm just sure that our sales skyrocketed over what they would have just through normal eBay selling because of Silent Sales Machine version 1.0 circa two, 2002 or something. And ever since, I've been so excited. Every time I get your email, you said this in the last podcast, Jim, because I, I devour your podcast. The fact that we're kind of partnering up here with books and things has nothing to do with how much I want to know what you have to say. And in the last podcast, you talked about how people should look forward to your emails. And Jim, I look forward to your emails. Now, 14 years later, every time I get an email from you, I want to read it. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. So you made a major and now I'm teaching others. Now I'm, I'm turning others onto the proven Amazon course and I'm telling others about PPI and the power behind it. And I'm really pushing, pushing, pushing this because I want my friends and my family to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, you know? I mean, I care about them. I want the best for them. And so I'm telling them about all of this. And so that is the history of how I got to where I am now. And that the fact I'm still so excited to hear from you every time you send me an email or put out something, and I've bought several courses along the way. I bought PPI right before you put it in PIC, and uh, I was thrilled. I was thrilled to have done it. It's worth every penny.
1: Oh, that's so cool. Well, you know, after having done this, I mean, like you said, it was about year 2000 or so that things started rocking. And looking back, there wasn't a single like magical epiphany moment where the sky opened and all of a sudden it all became clear and just this mega strategy dropped in my lap. It's been small and steady steps in the right direction, serving people. And building, like you just referred to, I call my email list the most powerful asset that I own, business asset. And when I'm teaching email marketing, like you just said, the most powerful asset you can have, a list of people who can't wait to hear from you. So I know today's podcast is about book publishing and and we're hitting on that topic, but email marketing and your email marketing strategy is a huge and vital part of your success. You know, the, the first and only to this date, traditionally published book that I have, it was published by Wiley, which is a big publishing company out of New York. They contacted me. It's the only book I've ever gone through a traditional publisher, and I make, you know, well, actually, I didn't make any money on that book. I give it all to a, uh, a ministry. That's a story for another day. But when they contacted me and I was thinking it through, I'm like, oh, they really want me to market this. They wanted me to go on a 50 city tour wow. and sign books as part of the contract. It was in the contract. And I said, I, you're going to have to pull that out, dude. I'm not going to 50 cities and signing eight books here and there. I mean, that just, <laughs> there's no way I'm doing that. So they pulled that out and they said, well, we've got to replay what's your marketing strategy. And I said, I. I'm going to send an email to my mailing list (laughs) and I'll get a bunch of friends to do the same thing. You know, guys that I've worked with and guys that owe me a favor here and there, guys that like what I'm about. And we were number one marketing book on Amazon when it launched, just with email, just email. That's it. And I said, hey, guys, even if you're not interested in this topic, buy it and give it to somebody who is. Would you help us out? Bam, shot to the top of the chart, sold a ton of it. Email marketing. So even though we're talking about books, we're still talking about email marketing. And I love that you use eBay creatively. One of the things that I'm going to stick in the show notes I haven't mentioned yet to the listeners, if you go to silentjim.com, every episode we have in the show notes, all the links and things that we talked about, one of the things I made was a video. It still works to this day for, let's say you're selling multiple things on eBay. Let's say you've got 15 or 20 or 50 different types of items and sure. you want to grow a grown mailing list for a handful of your hottest items. You can still do that with eBay. You can automate it. And there's a video, it's on YouTube. I'll give you the link, listener, if you just go to the show notes. It tells you exactly how to set it up, which a third-party tool that you have to use. And once it's set up, set it and forget it. Everybody that buys from you, it's within eBay's policy. You follow up, you say, hey, hope you got the product. By the way, we might be selling more of this on eBay at some point if you're interested in these types of products get on our mailing list here's the link and it's product specific so your shoe buyers go on your shoe email list and your t-shirt buyers go on your t-shirt buyer list for example right so it's easily automated so many people don't realize you can do that with eBay trickier on Amazon but you can't really do it on Amazon but with eBay you certainly can
0: eBay you can yeah yeah. and as you said it follows all of eBay's rules and often people who bought something the best time to sell somebody something is immediately after they've bought something and if you have somebody something worth buying you should tell people about your next item if they just bought something for you if it's related in any way you almost owe it to them to tell them that about it and so i love that uh, it is harder on amazon you can maybe stick a, a card inside your product to tell about your website and to join your mailing list but that doesn't get the response that ebay just gives you these email addresses we're finding ebay sales are growing now it kind of went down as amazon went up yeah. and now amazon's still going up but ebay sales are now going up again and so
1: They certainly are. As things have gotten a little harder on eBay, you know they're <laughs> doing some brand restrictions and such, which is topics for other podcasts. Sure. But yeah, I'm predicting eBay, in the next two to three years, they're going to be doing really, really well, as well as a lot of other, virtually any big online selling platform is doing nothing but going up right now. I agree.
0: So back to your book about Wiley, it reminded me of something, if you don't mind me getting back to books for a second.
1: Oh, but let's stay there. Yeah.
0: Okay. I wrote about 85 books for major publishers before I started self-publishing. And You know, that was back in the 90s and That was the thing to do. And if you ever wanted to publish your own book, there were three strikes. It was virtually impossible. Number two, it was extremely expensive because they not only would have you pay for all of the setup, all of the publishing, all of the printing, but then you'd have to buy a minimum number of copies. And number three, no one wanted to distribute your books. No one, you know, the major um, book distributors, there are only about two or three major Ingram and a few other distributors who will even touch a book and put it in a bookstore. And so you had to go major publishing back in those days. And now things are completely different. Self-publishing back then, they they would denigrate it by calling it Vanity Press. Have you ever heard the term vanity press?
1: Absolutely, yes. Yeah.
0: If you ever wanted to write a book, then it was Vanity Press. But there are sure a lot of Vanity Press authors today making tons of money. And the ones that aren't making all that much money, they're using their books to leverage other items that they promote and other business activities that they do. As you said, the a business card. Handing a book to someone gives you instant authority. And so today it's completely reversed. It is so simple to get a book published today. If you want to control every aspect, if you want to control the distribution, the publishing, do you want it in ebook form only? Do you want a paperback as well? It is so simple for us individuals who have nothing to do with the major publishers and major publishers were very good for me. I sold almost 4 million copies through one alone. And, you know, I respect them, I appreciate them, but they were out for number one, just as we are. And they gave me very little percentage of each book, but they did all the work. I mean, you know, I'm, it's all risk and return, trade-off. But now I think that you're nuts, if especially if you're a first-time author. I almost think you're nuts. I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but you're sort of crazy not to try self-publishing because it's so available to us today. And if you can't write a book, you still can get a book published. We talked about The Ghostwriter before. That is so easy to get done. It's so easy Easy to hire people to do things like that for you. And if you can't even type, if you can't even use a keyboard, just talk into your phone's voice recorder and record your notes. And then a junior college English teacher send it to them and let them transcribe it into a book and fix everything and make the words flow and make the paragraphs flow. Whatever. It is so easy to do that these days that now the big companies are scrambling. And if you want to get a book published by some of my favorites, Macmillan Publishing and uh, McGraw-Hill, I published several through, and all of those companies, they're hurting right now. And it's just, they're chasing.
1: Yeah. They're chasing. They're chasing successful, self-published
0: authors. They are chasing. And that's the thing. If you are successful as a self-publisher and can show a record of selling 10,000, 40,000, 70,000 copies of a book, then they want you badly, and they'll pay you a huge advance to grab your book from you. So that's the better way, in my opinion, to get a book published today by a major publisher, if that really is your goal. I don't think that should be your goal. I think getting a book published should be your goal, and actually getting it on Amazon should be your goal. And really, if it never appears in Barnes & Noble, well,
1: that's okay. So what? No loss. Yeah, that's not where most of your sales come from anyway. It's not.
0: How many Barnes & Nobles are there in the country? I don't know, 300, 400? And how many of your books are they going to put in each Barnes & Noble? One, two maybe uh, if you're a first time author, not in every Barnes and Noble either. And so you're talking, you might have 200 books spread around the country at any one time. It's wonderful. I can tell you from personal experience from that very first book, when you walk into a bookstore and see your book, that's a pretty amazing experience. You probably have experienced that yourself, but once you see it and you have that experience and then you think, okay, now we got to get this thing sold. (laughs) You know, it only takes, (laughs) it takes about 60 seconds to get past that and think, okay, let's get down to business. So this is 2000. 17 if you have a book inside you this is the year to get it out
1: no doubt no doubt and you know i uh when i wrote my first traditionally published book it's the 101 free marketing book and the they came to me they pitched me right it used to be that you would take your manuscripts and you'd send it to all the publishers and they'd send you the rejection letters that's not how it works anymore now they're seeking out yes. folks with successful self-publishing careers and i'm not talking massive success i'd sold a considerable number of my book but it wasn't even been on Amazon yet. I don't even know how they found me. I think it was through a referral. There was no statistics published anywhere online about how well my silent sales machine book was selling. But they found me somehow and they said, hey, how about we offer you, I think they offered me $5,000 as an advance, half up front, half after. And I said, how about $10,000? And they said, sure. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, that was easy. You know, they really want to work with authors. Um, I was contacted just a few weeks ago. I don't think I told you this, Greg, but um, a publisher in Japan contacted me oh. and said, could we please transfer? Translate your book into Japanese, and I'm thinking, uh-huh. okay, they, you know, what are they going to charge me for that? That sounds cool. They said we want to pay you five thousand dollars. Like, hmm, <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. Why not? You're going to do some of my marketing for me, and you're going to pay me. I'm like, right. but you know, that's how the world of royalties works. You know, I came up with the content, they're translating it, doing all the work, doing the new cover, putting all the work in the binding and the pages and everything. I'm not coming up with money; they're paying me. I said, how about seven thousand five hundred? They said, sure. And here, <laughs> off we go. And my book is. Now going to be in Japan, in Japanese. And uh, you know, exactly. it, it's just incredible. You know, so that's the world of self-publishing. That's how it works now. They will come find you if you create a book. But even if, you know, I don't measure the success of a book by how many copies it sells. That can be completely irrelevant. You could have a massively successful book that never sells more than 20 copies. And I'm not exaggerating, 20 copies. You sell five of those to your mom and four of them to your brother-in-law, you make him buy them because you want him to pass it <laughs> out. And the and the others are actual copies customers, and it's still a huge success. And here's how. You are now a validated authority on that topic. And let's say we've done this with some people who consult. One of the business models we teach is, hey, get into coaching, consulting, teaching people what you know. So here you've got the book, you're an authority, and you don't even necessarily have to sell any copies. You buy a stack of 50 at a time and keep them in your office. And when you're going to get a new client or trying to close a deal or whatever, you hand them the book and say, yeah, this is my book on the topic. You stand out head and shoulders above everybody else that they're talking to because you're the guy with a book.
0: It would be the best resume also for just a new person entering the marketplace. That would be a great resume is to hand them your
1: No question. You know, on that topic, I'm going to be speaking in front of a group of young people here soon. And and I hear sometimes people say, I think this will resonate with you, Greg. They say, well, I'm just not an entrepreneur. You know, I'm more of a, I'm very content just to the nine to five thing. And I I don't hold that against you. That's awesome. You got a job you love. God bless you. That's awesome. But I would contend you are an entrepreneur, whether you know it or not, because my definition of an entrepreneur is you're putting something at risk. And you're hoping for a return and you're serving your customers, right? So you're going to work. You have one customer. That's your boss who writes your paycheck. You're risking your time. And if that one customer doesn't like your product, well, he will stop buying from you. It's called getting fired. So you have to be entrepreneurial about your life regardless. I mean, very few of us get to be New York City school teachers where you can do whatever you want and they (laughs) won't fire you. I mean, look it up, dude. You can't get fired as a New York City school teacher. So I'm not talking about where you get paid regardless of performance. I'm talking about those of us who live in the real world where performance matters. Exactly. You've got to approach life as an entrepreneur. And having a book is your ticket, yes, into a great job, a promotion. I mean, how good does it look to be the only guy up for a promotion who has a book on the topic?
0: You will be the go-to person on that subject. before whoever has your book, they're going to think of you first when they think of that subject. So, And everyone, I love your idea, everyone is a marketer, whether they think they are in marketing or not. If you ask a doctor what is his profession, he should say marketing, because if he doesn't keep his customers served and happy, and if he doesn't recruit new customers, he goes out of business. If you ask a lawyer, what is your business? If he doesn't say marketing, he doesn't really understand what he's doing.
1: Yeah, you're right. And you can have a service just Helping people write the book they should write. I encourage people all the time, oh, wow, you really need to write a book. Oh, that's, you know, I'm not an author. So I've always talked to people, but, you know, th- that's actually a decent segue into the the service that we offer. It actually is named Service. We'll stick it in the uh, show notes. Go to silentgym.com. but Service Publishing, S-E-R-V-U-S, Publishing com. I hope I got that right. Haven't pulled it up in a while, but it'll be in the show notes. And yep. Greg, you're the one that runs that for us. And this is just another one of the attempts that I'm making to meet the needs of our audience. So why did we launch with all the different publishing companies out there in the different ways you can self-publish? You can do it all yourself. That's awesome. Go for it. It's not complicated. But for first-time authors, especially, what is it that we can offer them? That might justify them taking a look at what we can do in partnering with them on on putting a book together.
0: Sure. Well, we can offer as little or as much as they want and need. And that means if you just need a little hand-holding through the process, we can do that. If you have an idea and have no other desire or think you have the ability to turn that idea into a book, we'll take your ideas and probably – Flesh up more than just you know an idea or two from you, and have you record or write down some things we can get someone to write a book for you under your name. We can get someone to ghostwrite and try to, he or she will interview you and get your voice. And by voice, I just mean, you know, how you speak and how you would write it if you wrote it yourself. If you can write a book, but you're not good at grammar and, t- and spelling, although that's the easy part, you know, a lot of people can fix that. And if you don't know someone who can fix it, we can fix that or we can have it done or we can show you where to get it done. If you have a book ready to print, ready to publish, and you don't know if it's, you should this be ebook or paperback? And if so, what's the difference? And we'll guide you through all of that. If you want us to publish your first book for you, which is a little bit, I have an oxymoron. Whenever we say we're going to help you self-publish, that's a little bit uh, of a funny. It's kind of like the self-help section in a bookstore, as I've said before. It's it's not really self-help, but our goal is to get you to a place where you can completely help yourself. And so if you need us to walk you through every step of that first book, get it on Amazon, get it in ebook format, Kindle format, get it in paperback format, get the thing selling, show you how to create a listing, anything you need us to do we will do or we that's our goal is we will attempt to do and i believe jim where i think the reason it's you said why are we doing this when everyone else is doing it too when when a lot of other companies are doing the same thing jim you have so much trust in your community that they know that you're going to make sure it's done right and honestly And the name service is so perfect because you cannot be successful in life if you don't serve others. And you know, and your clients, your audience knows you above all people know that you have a servant's heart. And so they know whenever they say, Jim or Greg or service publishing, can you help me get through this phase of this book? I'm really just ignorant. I'm not dumb, but I'm just ignorant on this part of it. Can you get me through this? Or can you do the whole thing for me for my first book? They trust that we will do what we say and I think that that's why it's important that you did start another leg of your business, of CES, and that is the publishing business, only not traditional publishing. It truly is helping people become self-publishers.
1: Yeah, exactly. We've got people who maybe stalled. They thought they were going to do all this themselves and thinking, oh, this book's just been sitting here for a while. I can't get it out of my head. I don't know what to do first with marketing. We can help you think through the whole process. Um, And this isn't the business we're in. So for example, we're not going to force you to go buy a few thousand copies of your own book we're not going to promise a bunch of stuff that doesn't lead anywhere you know like hey we're going to get you into the distribution channel well that doesn't mean anything if you don't have an audience having your book in the distribution channel through ingram and on the shelves of bookstores and all that like we could say hey pay us ten thousand dollars we'll get you in the distribution channel but you know what that doesn't lead to sales it does not help you at all yeah we're going to talk about things like you know how to find the proper partners where you can build a mutually beneficial partnership with them so they'll promote your book and they'll grow your mailing list and then you're promoting their stuff these mutually beneficial slow burn strategies now that's where success is with a book and capitalizing on again the authority that you have as an author so there's no smoke and mirrors in our approach to this it's hey you know you need to have a book it's not going to be an expensive proposition if you work with us and we have had you know we've left this out so far but one of our big advisors Jason miles he's actually been on this guest a guest on the the show. He's written several very successful self-published books. I've written several very successful self-published books. And any given week I've got something in the top five in internet marketing on Amazon. I mean just I know the self-publishing world. And this is just me saying, hey if you want a little help in this arena, spend a few dollars, we'll tell you what we know. Um, and we haven't mentioned the Proven Self-Publishing course yet either, Greg. That's a great course. Jason and I put that together. Maybe that's a good intermediate step for folks. If you just want to get inside my partner, Jason Miles, in my head for, oh, it's a few hours, and talk about self-publishing, everything we know, we kind of just pour it out there. But mm. if you just want someone to help you out, go to Service Publishing. It's in the show notes, S-E-R-V-U-S publishingcom You know, Greg, something that I love about you that I had no idea till we had talked on the phone several times and I started to get to know you a little bit better. I I knew you were from our community. I knew you were having success. I knew you knew about self-publishing, but what I didn't know is you have some challenges and, you know, I, I want you to share with the audience a little bit about what those are because I'm sure they haven't picked up on it. I mean, you can't listen and know what someone's life is like, but you call them your handicap, You know, you have a handicap, and I love a video that you did. I want you to tell us about it. You're not a big fan of the Americans with Disability Act, which a lot of people might be thinking, well, you know, that that helps out people with challenges, doesn't it? That's a good thing, right? You're not a big fan, and I saw a video you were in. I just loved it, getting to know you a little bit. Can we spend a little time on that? Is that all right?
0: Well, if you would like, I don't really think about it too much until someone brings it up. And uh, but
1: (laughs) I love that about you.
0: You know, it's because, um, well, I was born with the annoyance of having a grand total of 3 deformed fingers and one leg and i um again i don't really think too much about it i you know drive right, drive my tractor we have for 20 years lived in the country we're moving to the city but drive my tractor, go out working, you know, split logs and just do whatever's needed. And um, then I, you know, play the keyboard, play the the organ and grew up playing the trombone. And I I don't really think too much about how I'm different Uh, until the, and I I don't want to be cynical. And I am a little bit cynical about the government until the government reminds me that I'm different and I need to be treated differently. And I don't really like that. And so in 1992 or so, 1991, whenever George Bush, senior, I'm embarrassed to say, signed that the Americans with Disabilities in the law act, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA. Or if you say it backwards, it's ADA. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> and it's backwards. But I just knew it was a terrible thing. And it was just going to harm the very people they said it was going to help. I mean, that's the law of unintended consequences. Whenever the government gets involved in things that they really have no right to be involved in, they often mess it up. And so, I wanted to go to Washington. I told Janie, I've got to get there and testify against this thing. It's going to be terrible. Only, I never did that, and I regret it. I kick myself for doing that. And for me, kicking myself has special meaning.
1: <laughs> it's a little challenge, right? But
0: I just <laughs> wish it. I'd gone because they surpassed all my expectations. I mean, it's a nefarious law, and it's run by the Department of Justice, not maybe Health and Human Services like you might think or the Department of Health or whatever. It's the Justice Department is direct. Directly over the ADA, and they take it seriously indeed. And so many bad things, we don't have time to list them here, and I, I don't want to make this a negative podcast. I feel in my heart something. I need to say I don't know if you remember Terry Shivo, the young lady that was in a coma. In, in a hospital. Yes, yes of course they starved her to death they gave her a a punishment of death because of her crime was that she was in a coma and instead of the ada advocates that always talk about how they care about the people who are truly handicapped they weren't there trying to stop that but if the parking spaces outside were an inch too narrow they would have shut that hospice down because those types of rules are what's important not the people and so i'm just and i, I want to get away from that because i, I don't want to all that negative or cynical, but I'm so glad I was born before the ADA. And when I was three or four years old, and again, I was born with one leg, but throughout my life I've been on a, in a wheelchair or on an artificial leg, which I wear most of the time. And that's what I jog with and ride bikes on. And, you know, I, and a- anytime someone who knows me for years finds out I only have one leg, they're just stunned because they don't know it, which is the way I kind of like it. And so my father, when I was three or four, he used to take me to minor league baseball games, the Tulsa the Oilers as they were called back then. And I fell in love with those baseball games. And so before I was four, he bought me a baseball, a baseball bat, a baseball glove, and a football. And, you know, he didn't think, well, I'm going to have to rig something up for this kid because look at his hands. He can't catch a ball. He just thought, well, he'll either catch it or he won't or he'll throw it or he won't or he will like it or he won't. And so he took me out one time and said, put my glove on, you know, in my left hand. And he said, I'm going to toss you the ball. And he gently kind of tossed it to me. And I caught it in that glove. And then he said, throw it back. And I threw it back to him. And he, after a while, I picked up the baseball bat and he tossed it to me. And I might have missed the first time or two, but then I hit that ball. And football, I loved football. And I loved kicking, punting. Punting was my favorite thing I ever did. I was a pretty good punter growing up. And, you know, it's just a whole mindset of my parents treated me like I was a little boy, not the way the government would treat me. And my mom, she did what all moms used to do. And she was a public school teacher and I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but she did what many public school teachers used to do. And that was, she taught me how to read and write. By the time <laughs> I was, I, I was about four because, so what if I had three funny looking fingers and one leg, I still needed to be able to read and write. You know, it wasn't like a big deal. And now they talk about self-esteem and you had mentioned that C-SPAN video that I was on. I, I talk about these types of things there and they try to teach self-esteem above everything in the schools these days. And to me, reading books to the neighborhood kids who came over and let me read to them. They couldn't, they didn't even know their alphabet yet. That builds a lifetime of self-esteem, oh, Jim. I love it. And so, you know, teaching skills and just being able to do things. And for my seventh birthday, they bought me, of all things, and they would be hauled into prison these days by the ADA police, but they bought me a typewriter, a typewriter.
1: I mean, for a guy with three fingers. Three
0: really, really <laughs> funny deformed fingers. Wouldn't that harm my self-esteem?
1: Oh, what an insult to your future potential. What an and
0: insult. And damaging your psyche. It
1: was how dare terrible. they? terrible. <laughs> and for a Christmas
0: gift. And I got on that keyboard and I remember I pecked around and everything, but then I started typing my name and I thought, wonder how fast I can type my full name, Greg Perry, Greg Perry, Greg Perry. And I got faster and faster. And that was like my go-to for every day for an hour a day. I just grabbed my name and I got very quickly, quick. And then I started getting out my encyclopedia that mother bought me a full set of encyclopedia Britannicas back then. You know, those were the days when you actually had those things. I I would find articles on NASA because I really liked rockets, and I would just type. I would just take an article on some rocket ship, and then I would just type that article. And I built some pretty good typing skills. Look where it led. 85 books or so published by major publishers, about 55 books that I've now self-published, all because of that one fateful day. I'm not even a fate type of person, but they bought me a typewriter when I was seven. And Jim, it breaks my heart when I see people all over Facebook, and I see them, and even people, they don't realize who they're telling this to, but they're discussing disability payments and how they can't do anything. And to be honest, and I don't mean this to be rude, but it's kind of a slap in the face of both normal people and handicapped people who are productive. Because if you've got the skills to post on Facebook, you have every skill you need to make great money. And guess what? Almost every, I might even say every single Product. every single course that you offer can be done by anyone who can use Facebook. I don't know of any that can't be. And what's really exciting is one of your recent podcasts, number 29, I think, where you were talking to Brett and Brett had this brilliant idea. What I'm going to do is just, I'm not going to go to all the garage sales around town. I'm going to send people out. I'm going to hire people to go out with a video camera and just live video me and say, should I buy this? And I'll go, yes or no. Should I buy this? (laughs) Yes or no. And then I'm going to have them box them all up and ship them to my distribution channel. Jim, I could be bedridden and do that.
1: Yeah. yeah. All you need is consciousness and an internet connection. And we literally destroy every other excuse you can come up with. <laughs> and talk about self-esteem is to be able to overcome
0: anything like that. And you're going to be so busy doing these things, proven Amazon, you're going to be so busy implementing these, you'll never again think about A disability check again. I mean, you will not want that stuff, that it simply, you won't even have time to cash those little measly checks. And I know that you don't promise the world, that you don't promise wealth, but in a way, I'm going to say you do offer slow wealth building skills. I manage 14 rental properties, single family rent houses and duplexes and things like that. I've done that a lot in my life and written some books about it. And I hope 2017 is the turning point where I go as much as I've enjoyed being a landlord, I don't really see why I need to mess with this stuff anymore. It's so much easier just to stay home and be with my wife and just, you know, enjoy home and be in front of a computer. I don't know, 10 hours a week, 20 hours a week. You don't promise this. I'm not promising this with any of your things, but that's a reality that's possible depending on how much you want to do. And so I just think, again, how many ways can we say it? 2017, this is a great time to be in business. Oh,
1: no doubt. You know what? And one of the things, the phrase that keeps popping through my head is low expectations or a poverty mindset. That's so dangerous. Your challenge, your disability, your handicap, whatever we want to call it. You know what? If you're using it as an excuse To set a low expectation of yourself, or if you have others who allow you to do so, or let alone encourage you to lower your expectations... Of what you can accomplish. You don't need that. There's almost a bigotry of low expectation in our culture now. It's like, oh, well, you've got that. So we're not going to expect a whole lot from you. No, in our community, we say, not only do we not care about those things, we don't know about those things. And as you've heard (laughs) me share before, like some of the people on our team, it's a, all I know is they've got a Facebook profile picture and it's their cat, you know, (laughs) and I think they're female from their name. (laughs) But all I know after that is they are kicking butt, you know, one leg or two. I have no idea, but they're kicking butt. And, you know, they're out there doing great things and the results speak for themselves, which is the beauty of business. You know, we can measure it in numbers. How effective are you at serving your fellow man? Well, I can tell by the numbers of your business. That's the beauty of business. So I love that these models are something that literally I've never used this phrase before. It just kind of came to me while you were talking. If you're conscious and you have an Internet connection, I don't care where you live, what your education is, skin color, your handicaps, disabilities, challenges, what your parents thought you were capable of, what your teacher in the sixth grade said you would never achieve. You know, all that's excuses. Throw it all out. Get to work. This stuff works. It's a great time to be alive. And the internet's the great equalizer.
0: It is. And if you still are kind of in that mindset, but you know you need to get out, start doing just a little bit. And it will build the grit you need to become what we're describing here, uh, to become what some people think I am. I always am kind of taken aback whenever someone says I've inspired them because I don't really think about that too much or think like that. But I understand it once I hear it. And I just think it's have a little grit. I don't like it when people say I fall in. I mean, people don't really say this sort of thing to my face, and they, especially not to me. But they say, you know, they'll call people with I like the term handicaps because the term disabled is so it's so wishy-washy and it's
1: so final sounding like this car is now disabled We need to put it in the trash, right? Absolutely.
0: (laughs) When you disable a smoke alarm, that thing doesn't work. I don't appreciate that. I work, And so I like the term handicapped. It can be abused less. I mean, you can't just, you know, you can't just use it for anything. And I kind of like the term normal because the ADA lawyers that are suing businesses all over America that have no extra funds to be sued for nothing, they don't like the term normal. They think that's, you know, they, they don't like that. So I use that all the time for everyone else, you know, all the normal people, you can a person, everyone has problems. And I told you this once before, Jim, I don't know if you remember, but I cannot play the guitar. I can play the trombone and the, the organ and piano, but I can't play the guitar. I can't physically do it. And I was recently thinking about, oh, seven or eight of my friends. And I got to thinking, wow, Six of them can't play a guitar either,
1: you know? So (laughs) Neither can I. (laughs) And I've got all 10 of my fingers. (laughs) Neither
0: can you. Welcome to the club. So we can all do things and there are things we can't do. And that's the great thing that you teach is that you can find someone else, hire it out. The internet allows you to find anyone who will help you do anything. And um, services like Elance or even Fiverr.com or especially My Silent Team and Service Publishing, Everyone here wants to help you and and at any level. And I posted something today on one of your forums and you just resonate with me, Jim. And one thing I said is you remind me of a stockbroker friend that I used to have in Arizona. And he said, it's more important for me to get a return of my money than for me to get a return on my money. And he says if any trade you ever make will blow your account up if you if it goes the wrong way, flee from that trade. And Jim, that's the very that's one of the foundational philosophies you teach. If anything is a risk, don't do it. Because you can always start small. You can always start small with any of the courses that you teach. That I have gone through almost all of them, and I love them. And bought, I bought, I don't know how many I've bought. And a service publishing, you can start small and just get a little ebook for now. It doesn't have to be any big deal. And then you can grow with that. You can get a foundation and grow with it. And you don't want someone ever risking the bank. You want someone to get a return of their money far and above getting a return on their money. At least that's the safety net that all of us have to have or else we run a huge risk of doing what the stockbrokers say, blowing up our accounts, blowing up our bank accounts. And so anyone with any skills or ability or physical, quote, problems, they can start small and grow and grow and and I just
1: love that. Well, that's what makes now the best time alive. Um, this isn't just me you know, saying, hey, what a great time to be alive. Like we, all of human history, we could have said that. Yeah. But what makes right now specifically awesome for entrepreneurs is the risk element that you just identified. And yeah, business is risk. It always has been. It always will be. But mm-hmm. never in the history of man has the risk been lower. It's just not necessary to take big risks anymore. You know, if, if we were having this podcast in the 1940s and we're talking about being successful in business. Well, you know what? The risks, the barriers to entry across the board, yeah. no matter what business we're talking about, it's going to be some significant time, effort, energy, and risk. And you better go all in early and we'll find out 5 or 10 years from now if the idea worked. Odds are it won't. That's what business was. And we're we're almost spoiled by the opportunity now because you can literally test dozens of ideas a month if you want to, and the ones that stick, automate them, roll them up, keep them going. You know, I love the of multiple income streams. I don't know. Some people used to say, well, how do you live with the insecurity of, you know, you're not getting a paycheck. Like, how do you live with the insecurity of a paycheck? You're the one, I'm the one asking you. I mean, that seems one customer. Are you kidding me? I'd much rather have 10,000 customers over one customer. You're my employer. So these multiple income streams, these business ideas, yeah, the risks are so low. So literally every model we teach, including the one we're talking about today, launching a book, rolling it out there, At no point, and this is the litmus test, at no point do you go to your spouse and say, okay, here's the deal. I'm about to write a really Big check, and if this doesn't go well, oh, buddy, I know it's going to be ugly. We don't teach that model now. There's people out there still teaching that, but it's not me because I've never done that. I've never had to go get a big loan or write a big check. And here I am running, you know, eight, six, seven, eight-figure business the last several years. It just keeps growing. You know, you add up all the the things that my partners and I are into, and none of us had had to go out and put a big chunk of money at risk. It's just a great time to be an entrepreneur for the risk aspect alone. So yeah, I love that you brought that up. And I I love how we just constantly around here, you know, we didn't intentionally go out and find you and say, oh, here's a handicap guy. Let's do that because he'll make the point. No, you found us. You came up through the ranks. You did great stuff. We're like, hey, who's this great guy? He's doing some cool stuff. Let's talk to him about service. We found out after the fact because it's really irrelevant anyway. You have some, as you call them, handicaps. And that's hard work for me to even use, but I'm going to adjust my vocabulary because you've encouraged me to do so. You're not disabled. You know what is disabled is that VCR that used to work 14 years ago in my garage (laughs) and it doesn't anymore. That's disabled, right? It's useless right. now. Except, you know, on eBay maybe someone will buy it. On eBay, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> but, you know, man, what a pleasure hanging out with you today, Greg, and I know we drifted around a little bit, but that's what I love about this podcast is the user, you know, you know you're always going to get a few things from us and that's evergreen concepts, biblically sound, and you know talking about biblically sound advice. The whole idea of slow wealth versus Fast wealth, that's biblical. The Bible says, it's a uh, proverb, if I remember correctly, wealth gained hastily will vanish. But if you grow your wealth slowly, you'll prosper long term. So that's, that's a biblical concept. So we do that in everything we teach. If it's a quick hit, get in, get out, make a ton of money and run, we don't teach that around here. Because you'll lose it just as quick as you got it. That's a biblical concept. So if you want a big dose of that, that's what we teach in this podcast. You know, some people call it common sense. I call it the timeless truths of how to do business the right way applied to the internet. And I just loved our conversation today, Greg. Any parting thoughts for the listeners as we start to wind this one down?
0: Well, I do want to thank you as well, Jim. You are a blessing to me. You're a blessing to Janie, my wife. She listens to you with me. She's not as involved in things as I am with Amazon and eBay and publishing. And she's almost always suspicious of someone that I start to get involved with or start buying someone's products. And she has always been grateful when she's heard your podcast or listened to something that Brett's done. She's always been had a grateful heart that I am tuning into you guys. And I'm grateful for that because our ladies have kind of a sense, a sixth sense about people. We're we're task oriented. They're people oriented. And we kind of have to trust them when it comes to people, that sense that they have with people. And so I trust her that whenever she is becoming a huge fan of Jim Cockrum and, and his people, that means a lot to me. I think it should mean a lot to you that people like my wife is indirectly coming to that conclusion just by the things that she's hearing you say and do and watching you and reading a few things now that you've written and that you're publishing and some of your courses. And mm-hmm.
1: so that's cool. Well, tell Janie I said thank you. I, I hope to hopefully meet her. I'd love for you guys to be in Orlando with this is, is that on the docket this September 2017 is our next live event. <laughs> Yes, of course, in Orlando.
0: One of us will be. And I guarantee you, I will be. And we'll see about her. My mom is... 84 years old, and I think she's to the point where she kind of needs someone to stick around sure, here, but sure. we'll see. I mean, if things were reversed, she'd do the same for me. You know, you take care of family, but at least one of us will be there, and hopefully two, and I've got a friend, a good friend from New Jersey that I met one time at a worldnetdaily.com trip that we were on, and um, I got him to buy a proven Amazon course, and he can't wait to be at CES5 with me, and so you'll definitely see me there.
1: Oh, that's great. That's tremendous because I can't wait to meet you. We've never actually met, as is the case with nearly at least half of my team. I've never sure. met them. What an incredible time to be alive when you can build a team of about 100 people and you don't even know half of them. I've never even talked on Skype with a lot of them. It's just an email reputation-driven decision and we pull them in and they do great stuff. So, man, this has just been a great episode. And listener, thank you for listening in. This felt you know, very conversational today. We didn't really script this thing out, but I think there were some real nuggets in this episode. And it, it kind of reveals the heart of what we're all about, the kind of people we like to work with. And this would be a good podcast maybe to recommend people to listen to if you want to get to know, you know this. what are these people all about. You know, what do they think about things? How do they feel about the world? You know, and if you don't agree with us, that's fine. There's a lot of great podcasts out there, but I will tell you this. Our community is exploding with the one metric that matters success stories. So if you want to be a part of a community that's cranking out success stories and successful people that are optimistic about the future. Of internet business and all the opportunities that that entails. Great people like Greg on our team. Plan on being there in Orlando September 2017. Go to jimcockram to get details on that. And again, everything we've talked about today service publishing, the proven Amazon course, all this other stuff go to the show notes at silentjim.com. Look up this episode. There'll be links there to everything. If something's missing, hey, drop us a note. There's a form right on that page as well. You can send us your feedback or suggestions, or maybe you got a question for Greg or you want to contact him and talk about maybe doing a book all that info silent thank you so much greg for being here today this was awesome and i just want to thank our listeners too for giving us about an hour of your valuable time i hope the return on investment is huge and if you put to use and put to work the stuff you learned i'm sure it will be because we put a lot of time and effort into choosing what direction we will go with these podcast episodes so get a book you need to get a book. Thanks for listening, listener. This is Jim with Silent Sales Machine Radio. I love serving you. Can't wait to do this again next time. Talk to you real soon.